Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Retro Monster Truck Review. My name is Josh Rhodes. This week, we've got Matt Stoltz as well as Chris Parrish with us as we talk about one of the biggest events in monster truck history. I'm talking, of course, about the 1990 USHRA Finals between Taurus and Barefoot to determine a champion of the series, $15,000 on the line to the winner. As always, we got to pay the bills a little bit and say thank you to everybody that subscribes to us on YouTube, follows us on Spotify, and of course leaves us those five-star reviews on Apple iTunes. As of this week, though, ladies and gentlemen, I've moved the platform over to Anchor Podcasts, so we're now available on more platforms than we were before. In addition to Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts, we are now available on Google Podcasts, Breaker Podcasts, Stitcher, and a few others I'm working on trying to get on as well. I still have yet to figure out this whole anchor process, but once we get it everywhere, I will certainly let everybody know. Without further ado, though, Chicago, 1990, one of the greatest stories ever told in monster truck racing, is coming at you right here on the Retro Monster Truck Review. again everybody welcome to the retro monster truck review this week probably one of the biggest shows that we've covered on on the actual episodes here ushra's 1990 chicago finals the mud and monster tour ladies and gentlemen uh we opened this show off with matt stoltz obviously over there how you doing matt we're in the windy city and i've got half of a supermarket on top of my hot dog i'm ready to go <laughs> All right, and we've got Chris Parrish, as promised, coming back for another week. Hey, guys, great to be back on Retro Monster Truck Review. Uh, this is a big one. There's a lot of drama in this event. It should be exciting to talk through. There's a lot of different perspectives and a lot of tension in the air. That there is. The tension that we speak of, of course, is not between Chris and Matt or me and Matt. Uh or all of us between all of us. It's actually uh, it's actually one of the biggest rivalries that we've talked about onto the show. Chris, this dates back to one of the Cortland episodes that you and I did, and that was Barefoot and Taurus. We talked about how these two just, at that time, did not particularly care for each other, and at this time, this is probably the peak of they don't like each other. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we'll get into the episode shortly, but it shows pretty much all throughout the episode though not to be underscored necessarily uh the bigfoot taurus rivalry was still active here and bigfoot and barefoot basically never liked each other they were friends for a few moments when the industry started and that went south real quick and so uh, I think full-fledged loathing is the accurate word in this situation. What's the yeah, opposite I, of a love triangle? Is it just a, a hate pyramid? There we go. That works. <laughs> hate and pyramid. It, it's that sounds about one, right. That's for sure. Ironically, as I've said before on this show, these three teams, these three trucks are all based out of virtually the same area in Missouri and Illinois. Granite City, Illinois for Taurus. Pontoon Beach, Illinois for Fred Schaefer and Barefoot. And of course, at this time, Hazelwood, Missouri for Bigfoot. And ironically, they're all just kind of almost in a little bitty triangle right there together on the map 
as well as traveling back and forth to all of these events. Hate it really is. It's the nucleus there in the in the Midwest of the originators of the industry, save, you know, the extreme north and south up in Minnesota with Everett Jasper and down in Texas with Danes. But you've got a lot of the originators right there in that St. Louis area. And there were just always so many trucks from that St. Louis area, um, lots of Hall of Famers. So clearly they had a significant impact on the industry as well. Um, and oddly, they often traveled across the country and then hated each other at events um, <laughs> where they would battle it out rather than right in their in their own doorstep backyard uh, in St. Louis area. Well, let's get right down to it here, guys. This is the beginning of the show. And can you tell what the crowd favorite is from the very first? Por- Actually, I should say real quick. Thank you to Mr. Parrish, by the way, for sending us myself and Matt the full copy of the show so we can recover or talk about the whole thing uh the copy on youtube i don't want to slander it in any way but there's just there's not much there to go off of except the racing itself we have the entire episode to go off of so thank you to chris Parrish for that so we can talk about this whole story in detail yeah i think chris you had agreed to, to get this thing up on your channel as well for the time when this goes to air so hopefully we'll be able to provide the entire thing for everybody to watch along with us Yep, everybody will be able to watch this on YouTube in its entirety, along with listening to Retro Monster Truck Review. So life will be perfect. And uh, But yeah, you, you talked about the opening, and uh, it is clear who the fans like. And I found this to be a very odd opening based on the storyline that they would carry through the broadcast, because... The opening doesn't really seem to tie too well to the rest of the story. No, it doesn't. We go, we got fans out in the crowd, obviously in the concourse area. They're probably told, polling them and asking them, hey, who, which truck's your favorite? Well, Bigfoot, Bigfoot. And then one, one person actually says Tom Martin and Mud Patrol. Then we get another couple of Bigfoots. And then one lady says, we're here to see Bigfoot and I hope he wins. <laughs> Right as we get ready to go into the episode, we see some signs out in the crowd, too. Almost gives you a WWF attitude kind of feel with some of the signs out there. Uh, we see First Blood is out for blood. And then we see a Tom Martin patrol, uh, number one sign out there for Mud Patrol, which I'm assuming is the same guy that said earlier in the intro that he was a big Tom Martin fan. He's got his own cheering section here. Same with Rob Fuchs and First Blood, who is just about an hour from this venue. Yeah, he's the hometown hero of this show here in Chicago, and we get to see a bunch of these local, I guess, off-road clubs probably, you know, supporting their favorite mud racers as well in the stands with the big banners. And we get a a guy in a cowboy hat saying that he's hoping Bigfoot wins as well. I don't know who that guy could have been. Uh, Yeah, here we go. Sneaky cameo from Bob Chandler right there. They don't put a title card up for his name or anything. They just basically show Bob's face on TV. And if you're an average person just flipping through the channels, he looks like an average fan. But it's actually Bob Chandler who's saying, hey, I really hope Bigfoot wins this one. The only advantage he had was he was well more well-spoken than most of the other fans that uh, ventured across the screen. Um, but as far as, as Rosemont goes, it was it was kind of fitting that you would see a variety of support there and, and strong support um, for all the different competitors. Rosemont's always been, and that's Chicagoland area, um, it's always been a big and consistent monster truck market. The venue is small, but they've had some 
huge shows, uh, particularly given the size of the arena in that facility over the last 40 years at this point. Now it's known as Allstate yeah. Arena. I still call it uh, the Rosemont Horizon. Yeah, occasionally. Honestly, I still remember this. The first time I remember seeing this venue when I was a kid, anyway, was WrestleMania 13. Obviously, it was held here. Uh, there was another WrestleMania held here years later. Don't quote me on the number. I don't remember it off the top of my head. But uh, obviously, once I started to be able to get into YouTube and see stuff from Monster Truck Racing, this place was sold out then. And then later on, when I went to go work for Monster Jam, four out of five shows on the weekend were completely sold out. And the only reason the Monday night show was so wasn't sold out was because it was Monday. I mean... They had the entire lower bowl and about three quarters of the upper bowl sold on Monday, too. So no slouch as far as a marketing area right here. They know how to market a show in this area. And when these fans come out, they are a rabid fan base. And it shows here at this show. And let's not forget, guys, that this is you know, pretty much one of the homes of SRO Pace at this time. This yeah. is kind of their hometown show. It's their marquee event. We're in one of the largest markets in the country, Chicago, what, third, fourth at the time in the country and still today. So they want to make sure they put on the best show possible. They're bringing in all the superstars in the top eight in points for the Monster Truck Finals here on December 1st, 1990. And the Rosemont Horizon itself, as you guys have been talking about, has quite a history. That it does. Our announcers here, Brett Kepner and Jerry Devine, they intro us into the event and they tell us that four points is all that separates Barefoot and Taurus. And Jerry says they're just about at each other's throats. And he also goes on to interview Fred and Jack here. And I can tell you, there is already extreme tension between these two in this interview. We're with the two fellas that have been chasing each other all over the country the entire season. Door handle to door handle, fender to fender. And tonight, it's worth $50,000. Fred Schaefer with Barefoot. Fred, you're four points away from winning tonight over uh, Jack Wilman. How's it going to go? Tonight's the night I've been waiting for for about a year now. It's all going to come down to tonight. We're going to try and put Jack on a trailer early. You really want Adam, don't you? I want him. I've been waiting a year for this. Well, Jack, how about it? You going to let him have it? Well, I think if he wants it so bad, why should we even qualify? Let's just match up the first round right off the bat and don't even worry about the qualifying, and we'll see who puts who on the trailer. Hey, I took this lead over with 11-point winning streak, 11 wins in a row, and I'm going to show him tonight what Barefoot's made out of. How about it, Ford? Half of them 11 wins where he had to run three trucks in a race, and there wasn't none of them competitors for him, but I sure in the heck wasn't there. He was at five of those races. He don't remember that. It's going to be intense. We're going to find out on the track in just a few moments. Because the opening portion of the video was missing so long from public view, uh, I don't think a lot of us have seen that before. And it, it, it still surprised me when I saw it. And it was almost a little uncomfortable. Like you, you could feel that, A, the announcers were kind of trying to prod them and build up the, the drama and the tension but B, that the tension was real and they are kind of they really are taking legit pot shots at each other. The tension uh, was already there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, leading into this, I, I actually spoke with both Jack Wilman and Fred Schaefer about this. And uh, it, it, this is 30 years later, but I, I was able to get confirmation that. Both of them, it, it was authentic. I mean, there was there was hatred there. It was purely competitive hatred. I mean, they really wanted to beat each other bad. Um, 
it was not necessarily a personal level or anything, but man, they were at each other's throats. You uh, you half expected them to throw down um, <laughs> as soon as the uh, the camera went off. One thing that I thought was good about this interview right here was Fred pointing out that, hey, I just won 11 events in a row. And Jack turns around and says, yeah, well, half of those events only had three trucks and he was the best one there. And of course, Fred reminds Jack, hey, you were at five of those. Yeah. And where the truth lies in that isn't exactly clear. I'd love to have more results from that year. And uh, Matt, I know you're quite the archivist. You uh, you may have some some details on that. Maybe you can shed some light on that. But I'm guessing the uh, the truth lies somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> it probably is. I wish I had the full results, but um you know, it, it at least helps to kind of paint the picture as to the, the situation and the stakes that we have here and why these guys are so competitive going into this final weekend of the points race. So this 1990 Camel Mud and Monster Series was really a new chapter for the USHRA competition. Prior to this, they were pretty much just one-off weekends, you know, for events. They were just kind of showing up and running, go home you know, bragging rights was your main rivalry. But now for the first time in the USHRA, your competitors are racing for points at each event toward a $50,000 year-end purse and 15000 of that going to the winner. Uh, I believe it was seven or 8000 going to second place. So the difference between first and second in points is a, is a matter of multiple thousands of dollars. And you're talking about the difference may be to build a new chassis for the next year or, or, you know, some way to really help your team out to go into the next season, depending on where you finish. And the top 25 points finishes of your vehicle in this tour, which I think was over 60 events, would determine your score. So you didn't have to be at every single one. You just had to have 25 finishes uh, and your best 25 would count. So R.J. Reynolds through their marketing subsidiary, Sports Marketing Enterprises, kind of concocted this whole Camel Mud and Monster series up because they were very involved in motorsports at the time with the Camel Trophy, with the Land Rover vehicles. They were into Supercross. They had IMSA, GT Racing. Um, super, I think I said Supercross again already, but they're in all kinds of motorsports, and we're about to enter the NASCAR market a lot heavier with the Camel brand as they already had the Winston brand established for so many years. So they're really heavy into racing, and they had this series ready to go for the 1990 season. This is our points finals, top eight trucks, as we said. And this is why the tensions are so high. There's real money at stake. Yeah, big money at stake, like you were saying for these teams. That's a new motor. That's a new chassis. That's something that helps you going into 1991. Or it's some money that you can put back for a later date. If you ever need it, then you've got it. It's some security. It's finance, finances for your race team and for your person. But uh, as we go into the lineup right here, like we said earlier, this is a top-notch lineup. We've got a college eliminator with Jim Reese behind the wheel. Barefoot racer, of course, Fred Schaefer, your points leader, coming in by four points. Four-wheel crazy Rob Morris. He was also awarded the Rookie of the Year, uh, as announced in the first round of competition here. Bigfoot four with John Pyant. Number four has got its racer stripes on. It's got that rear uh, racer back on it as well. AMPM Rocket, Dale Boucher behind the wheel. No relation to Bobby. Jack Wilman Sr. in Taurus, three, first blood with Rob Fuchs, and of course, Evil Forrest, Ray Perkowski rounds out the field. Any surprises in the lineup, guys, that you think, based on what we saw in 1990? As far as top eight goes, Evil Force to me was a big surprise as being in the top eight in points. I don't know about Chris. 
I would agree that uh, Evil Force is the odd man out, and they kind of uh, explain a little bit of how he gained uh, to that level of, of points in the standing later in the, the broadcast. But, I mean, he had some good runs, apparently, and that's another one of those. They mentioned that Evil Force had five runner-up finishes, though no overall victories, and that's one of those. I'd like to know what events... Uh, Evil Force was the second best truck uh, in the event uh, because the truck was really more of a show truck or a novelty truck until Perkowski brought out Invader um, because the, the tow trucks were just so heavy. I think they were over 20,000 pounds is what they yeah. uh, they would bring up in, in various broadcasts. Um, but otherwise, four-wheel crazy sitting fourth in the points in his rookie year i thought was impressive as well yeah, but it's, it really a, it's a great truck though four-wheel crazy mm -hmm. the original four-wheel crazy a real small tight inched wheelbase this truck he's built for racing so it's not really all that surprising to me to see it in the top five in points i mean i may say yeah, they did a great job that year and four-wheel crazy would be competitive for a couple more years and i think the big thing here of the odd man looking out i would say would have to be excalibur I would agree with you a thousand yeah. percent right there. We saw, you know, Chucky run in a few events on TV this year. And boy, it's a darn shame that they didn't get the invite there to Chicago. Weren't quite high enough in the points, I think. I think they ended up being in the top 10 at the end of the season, if I wasn't mistaken. But just barely missed the cut there. So, hey, the top eight go on. And that's who gets the, uh, the booking for this final show here in the Rosemont Horizon. How do we decide a champion in Chicago? Chicago style. This track is a very tight, uh, unique yes. setup right here. Uh, and honestly, this this course puts a lot on a reminder, at least to me, when we covered the Providence 92 episode. Obviously, this predates it, but this track reminds me a lot of it with the mud pit in the center, the cars on the outside, and each lane. Yes, there's a turn there, but it is going to end up being a very slick turn. And thanks to Chris for sending us this episode, because in the other episode that I watched previously, it, you couldn't really tell what the dirt was doing. And Chris says it's very clear. You can see that it is extremely wet in these corners, and it's very slick for these monster trucks. To me, this is the Martinsville Speedway of monster truck tracks. This is a paperclip indoors running at somebody else's wall with a big slippery mud pit in the middle and bogging up each end and the turns and so making it super difficult on the monster truck drivers here and i would argue that each end of the track is completely different from the other presenting other challenges as well they really yeah, are I would agree. Uh, one end of the track, you've got mud racers sliding to try and avoid the DQ line at the end. The other end, you've got them spewing dirt and mud and water all over the back half. I mean, each lane is completely different for the monster trucks. And this is the first time that the USHRA does this kind of track in an arena and hence bearing the name Chicago style racing. And we see how tight the cars are up against the pit here. They've got what guys another 25 to 30 feet of space on either side of these lanes that they could have maybe made those turns a little wider but they kept it nice and tight and are really going to challenge these guys here on a small arena again chicago style good idea and 
big stadium, Chicago-style. Bad idea. This is the definition and the very beginning right here. That it is. Uh, that's another thing you point out as well. The cars, like the end of the cars from from trunk to hood, the I believe it's the hoods that are, or excuse me, the trunks that are facing out towards the crowd. I mean, that's where your dirt ends. So you've got those cars and the mud pit in the center, and then everything after that is concrete to the walls. And that has a huge effect on the uh, the performance of the racers and the outcome of the races throughout the night. Uh, and it's just another detail that makes this track really tough to tame. I think this may have something to do with the amount of material they had available. You know, the, do- the dirt is stored in each market. And up until this point, this Chicago show, they had a polling event in you know, the first quarter, January, February, and then they would have the mud event in November, December, and it was always the mud finals. But prior to this, they always ran the monster trucks with no ramps and no dirt. They were just on the concrete in prior years. In 89, it was just a straight line track on either side of the of the mud pit. So they had to use up some of this dirt they'd normally use for the mud pit and, and make a monster truck track. Maybe they just couldn't make it any wider with the amount of dirt they had available. That's a good possibility as well. That's another thing I wouldn't, I didn't think of beforehand. But when you look at it, though, it's it's almost when you look at it in like a thirty some odd years later, you're like, why don't they have all that dirt there? But that's a very good point, Matt. That they just may not have had enough dirt. I think think of the mud pit that they had to make right there. That I mean, that's at least seven, eight feet deep. It's a lot of a lot of dirt there. Um, a lot of a lot of dirt. <laughs> dirt math is almost as hard as toilet paper math. So I'm not sure how many <laughs> cubic yards or truckloads we have here, but it's a lot, and it's a very deep pit for the time. I feel um, they're the pits up higher than the sides of the cars. So we're talking a, a pretty nasty pit. I mean, the mud racer guys. We're not going to talk about them much very here on the retro monster truck review, but they blast through the pit pretty quick, as they all are at that point. But they kind of built this pit a little bit old school kind of where it's a little bit deeper and a little bit soppier than, you know, some of the other events on the tour at this point and just leaves less dirt for the monster truck track. And we'll see that play a big part later in the show. That we will. Let's get right into it, though. We're going to talk about qualifying right here. One truck per per time right here. So no no trucks basically racing each other and qualifying, just one truck on the track at a time. Start things off with four-wheel crazy. He's in what I'm going to call the far lane from our hard camera. A uh, strong run for Rob, by the way. He's around the corners very quickly, very tight to the poles. He actually appears to have a little bit of a braking issue before the wall after he finishes here with a 17.65 time. A strong run for Rob Morris. As far as Rob Morris goes with the four-wheel crazy, something that I think will be um, an issue that we echo kind of throughout the rest of qualifying, but I actually had some home video footage available of this event and um, I had a video shot of the Microtron. It's not really jumbo here, I guess, but uh, the, the video screen in the Rosemont Horizon that showed the qualifying run for Four Wheel Crazy as a 16.26. I, I believe that is incorrect, even though that is the posted time. And uh, I think Mr. Stoltz can elaborate more on that. Yeah, so that's that's from the the Saturday night show you're watching that Chris and they were pushing that, that time up. Boy, the whoever was running the stopwatches must have had uh some kind of neurological issue with when they were hitting the button because if it was in the 16s up on the board, 
they're listing a 17.65 on the TV broadcast. I timed this run at an 18.30. And this puts him as the fast qualifier by more than a second at that pace. At the 16.26 pace. If, yeah, yeah. Which doesn't add up. Now, in reality, this does end up being the third fastest time, which they explain to him being third fastest on the broadcast. But we'll keep track of the order of these trucks as we go through each qualifying run. Yeah. And so qualifying continues on. I think the biggest thing in the first round of qualifying is barefoot comes out and lays it down. Uh, He's trying to throw down the fastest time possible, uh, but then... Torres comes out taking a unique approach. He's trying to match up with Barefoot early on because he knows he has to beat Barefoot early, take him out of the points, Mm -hmm. and try to uh, go on to the finals and win to to capture the title. And so uh, Mm -hmm. he's actually sandbagging. We don't often see legit sandbagging (laughs) out there. And and Torres is sandbagging to uh, slow down his run. Well, this kind of harkens back to the interview we had with Jerry Devine and and Fred and Jack earlier before the competition starts. And Jack says, hey, I want to go up against Fred. And why even qualify? Let's just go ahead and run it now. Let's race against each other. So as this story continues to develop, we'll see, you know, a lot of these things kind of, you know, work work themselves out to the point where, Maybe they'll match up in round number one, but maybe it's not totally legitimate as we keep going through this qualifying run. You talk about Fred in barefoot. He absolutely attacks the cars, and I'm I'm so thankful that you sent this footage to us where Fred's just carving around the track completely. And on the on the broadcast that we had from you know the first round on all these years, the track's so slick, and in here it's really, really tight and tacky, and the guys are carving around the poles. Fred almost takes the turning pole out. He turns so tight, Chris. Yeah, Yeah. microphone difficulty there. I'm back now. But uh, as far as the barefoot run goes, I was going to compare it to Full Wheel Crazy. Full Wheel Crazy, so smooth, so tight around the corners, right over the cars. Great qualifying pass for Rob Morris. Fred Schaefer is... He reminds me of a Dennis Anderson pass. Honestly, he's all over the place. He hikes up the left rear around the last turn, yet he's still three-tenths faster than four-wheel crazy, and I think all of that came on the straightaways for Barefoot with the horsepower. Now, they've got Barefoot at a 17.33 on the television machine here. I clock Fred in at a 17.86, which is within reason, I suppose. Um, That's still going to be good enough for number two overall, regardless of which clock you're looking at. Obviously, guys, we know who is going to be last here. Unfortunately, it's Rob Moore, or excuse me, Evil Force and Ray Perkowski. Uh, the former big toe is not really functioning very well on the track. It goes to make that first corner and just completely wipes and spins out. They don't show a time, though Ray does finish the pass. Uh, very slow pass for Evil Force. Unfortunate for him uh, as one of the top eight trucks. He just got on the throttle too hard around that first corner up on the mud pit and kind of rode the bicycle all the way through and overshoots back in toward the mud pit backs up i clock this time at a 36.37 um obviously much slower than the rest of the field up next was first blood coming to us in the near lane right here obviously first blood's out for blood if you listen to the the sign that we had in the crowd up there (laughs) uh similar to fred though he lands pretty hard on the nose after the first jump but he makes a really good pass out of it and it's an 18.29 for the 1989 rookie of the year 
I yeah, actually yeah. thought okay. this was one of the smoothest runs in qualifying. Mm-hmm. He was very precise all the way around the track. He actually stayed on the dirt. He was not swinging wide or pushing wide around the corners. Um, the the time was slow. I don't know if there was any discrepancy. Matt, I'll let you uh, uh, clarify that. But I, I did think it was a good, smooth run, just a little slow based on the TV times. You know, on a track like this, you'd think that slow is fast. And unfortunately for Rob Fuse, slow is slow in this case. <laughs> um, they put an 18.29 up on the board, which is seventh overall. I clock it at a 20.13. Ooh, so it's actually significantly wow. slower than some of the wilder, more out of control runs that we see. Um, just not quite enough, you know, power on the loud pedal in, in Rob's case. But, you know, this is an eight truck bracket. We're going to come back in round number one and maybe he'll uh, get a lucky break and work his way through the competition a little bit here. Who's up I next guess it's up? easy to look smooth when you're slow. Well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Well, slow and, and steady wins the race, obviously. We learned we, that in kindergarten. We but, translate uh, that right into the next run, which is is trying to be slow on purpose with Jack Wilman and Taurus. He takes it so easy around the track, but he doesn't make any mistakes. His ET comes in on the TV at 17.83, which would put him sixth overall and conveniently match him up against barefoot in round number one. But my time that I record is 18.99, which is actually the fourth fastest time, despite him trying to go slow. Just by watching that run, it did not appear to be in the 17 bracket at all to me. And it's interesting that uh, we're seeing these time discrepancies. I, I, I talked to Fred and Jack both about this. And so I was curious what the history with USHRA and Camel Mud Monsters was that year, what the climate was. And they both echoed the same thing that um, while some of the routing and scheduling for events might have been a little goofy, that the events themselves were actually run pretty well on the up and up. And so it's not, it didn't sound like either of them thought that they were trying to play some shenanigans or build drama or anything with this. And so I don't have a logical explanation for why the times differed so much. Yeah. And what's interesting is that if you watch Jack, I mean, he pretty much just carries a constant speed the whole way around the track. So while his straightaways look slow, the turns are still very fast for how because the truck is so light it carves through the corners well he's got the front treads turned around which i'm not sure exactly why jack had had done that um they weren't running on the concrete at all but he's got the the tires you know buff face forward on the front end of the truck maybe he wanted to take away some of that grip with the tacky surface but either way on my clock to be a significantly different time to where it would have really affected this middle part of the pack, you know, four five and six, it jumbles all them up. It, it doesn't add up. And I can't imagine they would have fabricated um, anything for the storyline because they are racing for real money here. Yeah. Right? I, don't, I don't believe they fabricated anything. Yeah. One thing I do think that could have happened. We all know, Chris, you know, just as well as me, there's multiple shows in Chicago that weekend. This is just the one that's being televised. My best guess is, is maybe the qualifying times got mixed up before they went to go do the broadcast. And one of the shows that they had uh, shown these qualifying times at were what they used on TV and they didn't actually use the correct times, which it could happen. It's a human error. It's a mistake. Or 
these are the legitimate times that we got by somebody on a stopwatch. Which is actually interesting you bring that up because uh, I took a look at this was a two show weekend. Uh, so before the days of five and six weekend shows in, in Rosemont. So uh, obviously the the local crew had it easy there. But <laughs> that yeah, aside, <laughs> um, night one, uh, I did time Jack's run and it was fairly close to what they were posting. Um, but he was also pretty clearly far and away the number one qualifier night one and uh, rolled on through to take the victory overall that night. And so he did everything he needed the first night. Um, but definitely the the qualifying runs, stark contrast there, uh, wholeheartedly number one the first night and uh, laying down the second night, trying to, to slow it down there. And it's worth mentioning that really the only points positions that are, are really up for grabs here are the number one and two spots. There's only, I think, an eight or ten point swing from first to eighth in an event, the way that the camel point system worked. And everybody else is pretty well locked into their positions. Bigfoot's locked in third. Uh, Four Bull Crazy's locked in fourth, at least coming into this final night of competition. Um, where their results don't end up making a whole lot of difference, except that these top two really are racing because they've only got those couple points difference. Up next, we've got Bob Chandler's favorite monster truck, Bigfoot Four up here. John Pyant currently third in the standings. Like you said, he's pretty well locked into that spot. And this old war horse, this same season, Bigfoot Four has gone from running in the USHRA to TNT to back to the USHRA over the Bigfoot Eight banning that happened in TNT. And I got to tell you, the truck is still at 100% right here. Uh, Lands off the second set of the cars onto the left side just a little bit, drags the left front across the sidewall of the mud pit. But in turn, 17.67 for Pyant, and he's not really doing a bad job behind the wheel here. He's lifting the left front tire up around the corner, something that you would not have seen in leaf-sprung trucks years prior. We're seeing it multiple times here in qualifying with these trucks. Yeah, they're cutting it tight, and I clocked Bigfoot in at a 19.26, which is about a quarter second slower than Taurus. And I even did these all twice to make sure that I wasn't making any mistakes. And I was within a few hundreds each time on my clock. So I'm, I'm sticking by my numbers um, that Bigfoot, instead of, you know, the time that he got was actually a couple seconds. Well, about a second and a half slower. So again, mixing up that three through six in the lineup a good bit. Eliminator is up next right here. This is the guy that's going to go on to eventually be our number one qualifier for this event. Probably the hardest launch of the night with the front tires coming up off the ground for Eliminator. Uh, just as Jim is heading into the turn, we see something that's a little weird to me, but actually something I kind of liked. They cut to a random shot of the ground. It's like the cameraman's trying to find the truck like he wasn't ready, and then they cut back to Eliminator. It gives it a live event style, a live event feel. I don't know why. I just thought that was kind of a, a little it, it was interesting they put this in a, uh, a taped event that aired later on television, but at the same time, man, that, that gave it a little bit of a live event feel to me. It did, and Ecology Eliminator ends up taking the top spot. They listed as a 17.31 on the screen, uh, only two hundredths of a second faster than Barefoot. I clock it in at a 16.66, which is actually almost, uh, it's like eight tenths faster than mm -hmm. Barefoot. And when you watch this run, it really is, it it's smooth, 
but just so much faster than everybody else. He, he's getting the acceleration out of the corners. He's keeping the turns tight. He's straight approaching the cars. He doesn't have to recorrect at all. It really makes the difference. And, and what really spurred me wanting to check this out is I'm saying this is a long track. And they're showing that six of the eight trucks are within a half a second. Something sounded a little fishy there. So I, I thought it was a little tight, uh, especially on a new course that they weren't used to running. There's It was unlikely they really were that close to each other and in reality they're they weren't that close there's at least you know a, a two and a half second gap among the top six and then another two second back to seventh with first blood and of course evil force uh, not really finishing with a very good time so taurus i still feel is fourth overall but this is the brackets we get set up for round one and this is where uh, all the other footage that we had seen up to this point kind of picks up so from yeah, here on where everything it should be familiar up. Uh, Rockets, our last qualifier to come out. It's going to end up fifth in the standing with a 17.72. One thing I'd like to point out, uh, they're actually talking about different results that these trucks have had during the season, during their qualifying passes. They say Rocket got one win in Wooster earlier in the season, and uh, I believe it was four-wheel crazy. They said it had been to six finals and took home one win as well. I like that they're bringing in stats into the qualifying. They're introducing you to the trucks. They're introducing you to the drivers to kind of make sure that you know exactly who they are. Uh, as we come back from commercial here, we get a little bit of a history being made after qualifying, though, before round one. And can you guys guess what that is? What do we got? Paul Schaefer makes his first competition <laughs> run behind the wheel oh. of Mud Patrol. Normally, this is Tom Martin's seat, but he's given Paul Schaefer the chance to come out here as Tom Martin is going to be testing the brand new Super Trooper truck. Uh, not a good run, though, for Paul. I will say it's a wild run. He lifts that left front tire <laughs> off the ground and just obliterates the finish line pole. But in USHRA rules, that's a disqualification at a 1.94 clocking, though, without the DQ. What's interesting is they're calling this the Grand Slam shootout here on the TV broadcast. And you're already seeing that some of the intended marketing was not able to be realized through the series because even at this point, this is when some of the lawsuits had started regarding tobacco advertising and, and the marketing to children and, and so forth, especially on television. So you see at the beginning of the season at the events in Seattle and, and I believe in Anaheim even, they're talking about Camel and the series and they're showing the logos on the graphics. But by here at the end of the season, they don't really mention camp mention Camel very much. They're talking, you know, using substitute terms like the Grand Slam shootout and some of these other ways that they're using to describe they had to i think start negotiating this a little bit more tenderly as they got through the season because some of these legal things had already started and i'm remiss uh i accidentally skipped over our ampm rocket um qualifying run there right at the end he comes in with a 17.72 on the screen i'm at a 1928 sixth overall uh sorry we skipped that one everybody to our listeners Hey, that's all right. Uh, as we go a little bit deeper, I'm going to go a little bit deeper into the mud racing than I really wanted to do, but I, I wrote some of this down. Jim Weber in American Made actually sets a 1.7 second pass in the prelims. They don't show that, but uh, we get a 1.955 here for his second pass. So his first pass in prelims, he actually sets a world record that stands to the end of this show. I don't know if it's a world record still today, but it's something that they talk about on the episode. Uh, wild thing. Uh, had a kill box issue, but they let the truck rerun. The car launches, and Ken Crum makes a decent pass at a 2.37. Uh, Gold Fever. I don't know why I love this car. A 1948 Fiat. I love 2. it. 
2.12, a flat gold paint scheme. Really cool looking vehicle. Uh, probably the coolest looking vehicle though here is this full bodied Ford Thunderbird, Michigan off-road, driven by Mark Watros. Uh, it's described as a fan favorite, and you can see exactly why. He barely gets stopped before the DQ line at the end of the pit at a 1.93. And then, of course, we see Tom Martin's new ride, the former three-time MUD champion coming out here. He actually budges the line that uh, Watros just missed by about four inches. And Tom Martin takes it out by about six <laughs> at the end of the track <laughs> at a 1.93. A tough run for him, but hey, Martin's already at this point been crowned the 1990 world champion. So, hey, why not go out and test a brand new vehicle? And I think this was his third consecutive championship in the yeah, mud racing ranks. Um, and, and I will grant uh, this Chicago lineup is a stout mud racing lineup. When you start listing off the names through the list there, um, there are a lot of heavy hitters involved in this event. And so uh, SRO, USHRA did a good job bringing in the big names across the spectrum for this event. Monster truck pairing round number one here. Eliminator going to be taking on Rocket, the two team trucks. Numbers one and five. Number three, Four Wheel Crazy taking on number seven, First Blood. Number two, Barefoot taking on Taurus. And then, of course, Bigfoot Four qualifies fourth taking on Evil Force. That is the pairing that's going to round out round number one, except we actually start with Four Wheel Crazy and First Blood. We don't really get a reason as to why we don't see uh, Eliminator and Rocket, but I'm pretty sure that it has to do with a transmission issue. But Chris Parrish has his hand up over here. Which is interesting you bring that up because home video reveals a lot of things. And in this case, the bracket was followed as shown on screen. And the first pairing in the live event was indeed Ecology really? okay. versus AMPM Rocket. And so I don't know if they had some reason for that, um, if they wanted to nest that after the barefoot versus Taurus race to kind of bring the level back down a little bit before going into commercial or, or what. I'm guessing it is a production reason that they decided to do that or storytelling reason. Hey, storytelling reason works to me. Well, we start this race uh, four wheel crazy on the broadcast versus first blood, and we get the news that Rob Morris is the 1990 rookie of the year, and he's going up against the 1989 rookie of the year in Rob Fuse. Hey, you know what? One thing we got to talk about here, though, is this is the Rob and Rob show. Yes. 89 Rob. and 90, the two guys named Rob are walking out with rookie of the year right here. And Rob, guys. Rob. This is the closest race of the absolute evening, maybe the closest race of the season right here. Uh, during the portion of the YouTube video that I watched when I took my original notes, you could not see how slippery this track was. You can see it here with the, the copy that Chris Paris provided for us. Uh, Rob Morris has announced that, like you said, Rookie of the Year for 1990. Small hole shot to first blood as they come around the corner the, second, the first time by, excuse me, First Blood is actually with the lead. They come around the second time by. Morris has closed the gap. It's damn near a photo finish. And when I watched the YouTube copy that I watched, I could not call a winner at all. You, it's, it's just the video quality is not there enough to call a winner. When I watched the copy that it was a fresh, pristine copy of the show, I mean, absolutely barely I would call Rob Morris the winner here. But it's unfortunate what happens to him at the end of the track. A very hard impact with the wall. As I mentioned earlier, it looked like he was having a little bit of trouble getting stopped. He does not get stopped here. He gets slowed down, but he does not get stopped. And he nails the Rosemont Horizons wall. 
Jerry, this is the first time we've seen this circular course used where both trucks will line up facing each other. It's one lap around the course with a common finish line counterclockwise. Rob Morris in the four-wheel crazy, by the way, we just received word that the Camel people have awarded him Rookie of the Year honors for 1990, and deservedly so. All right, a good even start. You notice how they are both running the course at the same time with a common finish line. Finish line is right there, right in the middle of the crush cars. They are halfway through. It's one lap. Now they come around the last turn, and they race to the finish line head on. Who's it going to be? Oh, oh, man, that was too close to go. What a race. Very close. Wait a minute. It looked like Rob Morris may have had brake problems. I think he hit the wall, Jerry. Let's take another look. Oh, man, Boy, did he hit that. <laughs> you could just barely see that at the end of the course. This is another angle. As he lands after the finish line, we still haven't determined an official winner yet. Boy, man, he hits that wall. And we just got word he was the winner in that route, so he's got his work cut out for it. It's interesting here to see how much these guys are tiptoeing in the corners already just after this round of mud racing. And they both keep it on the concrete, as we were discussing earlier, but they're they're not slinging the truck around and throwing it in the way they were in qualifying. They're not tutting, cutting it quite as tight. They're kind of bouncing and hopping their way around these corners. And like you said, Rob gets to meet the, the Rosemont Horizon wall, which... The following year, a guy named Anderson would would also tell you that wall doesn't move. <laughs> yeah, no, it does not move at all. I mean, he hit it really hard with that right front. It's no wonder that, uh, spoiler alert, Fogel Crazy's done for the night right here, and it's going to result in a fast loser coming back in the next round. But, man, he hit so hard right there, it's a wonder he didn't do any more damage than what was uh, reported. It looked like there was a right front spindle that had broken on the truck. At least that's what I was informed of. Interesting, because it... it it, I was wondering what happened into the shutdown area because you saw the truck kind of lurch like it was stopping um, for just a, a fraction of a second. And then the truck, it was like it was almost like his foot slipped off of the brakes is the only analogy I can think of. Um, so I'd love to know what happened there that uh, that led to that situation. Um, when you look at the home video footage, we're in the the lower left corner from where the TV primary angle is. And so you can kind of see the situation there. He doesn't actually do a ton of bodywork damage, but uh, I, I think he wadded up a, a fair amount underneath the truck, probably uh, bent up some leaf springs, maybe bent some stabilizers and things like that and messed up the, the chassis. Yeah, okay. obviously it's not going to be able to come back for the rest of the night. Anything hits the wall that hard, it's not coming back in monster trucks, even in today's standards. Yeah, you I mean you see how hard he hits and the truck just basically stops dead. Mm -hmm. So you could tell like the frame rails hit the wall and that puts a tremendous jolt through all the components in that truck. I mean, l many years later in 95, we see Pam Vodders hit the wall in Pontiac in a similar fashion. She and the truck the explodes. We hit, we, she hits the wall so hard, the frame, the front of the frame catches it, and the rear wheels break off the truck. That's how much energy is being dissipated through the truck and the driver's body in these cases. While losing the race, though, let's give uh, Rob Fuchs a, a little bit of kudos there. Good pass and uh, really setting himself up for a prime fast loser yeah. spot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Bigfoot and Evil Force is your next pair right here. Numbers four and eight taking on each other. Bigfoot four, like we said earlier, featuring the famous racer stripe paint scheme. He gets the whole shot on Evil Force. It's a tight race, really, that's going to come into play, though, as Bigfoot enters and swings 
Bigfoot enters fine, but swings wide out of the, la- the second corner, the first corner. God, I'm getting all over the place today. Swings wide out of the first corner. Pyant spins the rear end almost all the way out of the dirt of the concrete. But Ray does the exact same thing and has a very similar thing happen to him as exactly what happened in his qualifying pass, except here he actually breaks a rear tie rod and the rear wheels go pointing inward at each other for Ray. Well, here's Bigfoot, John Pyant. Big blue truck from St. Louis. He'll be going against another St. Louis entry, Ray Perkowski with Evil Force. Now Bigfoot, the number four qualifier. Perkowski, you remember, had problems in qualifying and finished uh, number eight in this eight-truck field of qualifying, lining up ever so carefully. The crewman, by the way, with the radio transceiver has a kill switch. He can shut the truck off anytime he wants. Okay, right now it's an even race. Let's watch him now at the halfway mark. Looks like Bigfoot might have gone wide. So did Berkowski. And Berkowski has problems. Yeah, you can see it looked like the rear wheels actually broke. And Berkowski is up against the berm, the same place he ran into problems in qualifying. And now under rules on this new course, John Pyant must wait for the lane to be cleared to complete his lap. You can see event director Tina Kelly holding him up, saying, all right, we have a block lane. You must hold until we determine the problem. Now watch the rear wheels. I swear I saw that the rear wheels actually were aimed at each other. He goes out of view, but when he comes back in, I'm almost inclined to believe he broke the rear end assembly. Now they're still okay there. There they go, yeah, aimed in towards each other in a V. He broke the entire rear end of that truck. Rough night for Perkowski for sure. He just can't exactly. get around these corners without having trouble and getting the truck you know, out of shape. And we see he, he kind of enters the first t- turn okay, but coming out the, the rear end, as you said, just kind of lets loose. The rear wheels go all kinds of different directions, and he's headed toward the mud pit. And they have to kind of move him out of the way in order for uh, Bigfoot to be able to finish the race. Yeah, they say that Bigfoot actually, under the rules of the competition, they have to wait for Perkowski's truck to be moved out of the way so Bigfoot can finish the pass and gain a time before the next round, which is something that I, I kind of like. I like that fact that they're stopping the course to be able to have him do that. However, it does hurt Bigfoot's time, and if that time was to determine lane choice later on in the evening, Bigfoot's kind of screwed at that point, right? It really is. I mean, it's it's an unfortunate product of this kind of racing and throughout the different times and as the competition evolves we see kind of a back and forth on this rule where you're not allowed to pass or you can pass if there's room i'm not sure what exactly if there's a true um rule that exists or if it was just kind of always explained in a way that made sense to the fans at home but either way bigfoot's moving on and now gentlemen it's time for the show Yeah, this is your show right here. Uh, Isn't it amazing that we go through some 60 events on the year, yet the World Championship battle comes down to one run? A great, great comment there by Brett Kepner. Jack Wilman intentionally, according to the broadcast, has intentionally qualified lower in hopes of getting barefoot in round number one. A barefoot win means that Fred locks the championship up right here in round number one. However, if Taurus wins, Jack must go on and win the entire event to gain enough points to pass barefoot by one to steal the championship right out of barefoot's paws uh chris you have the home video footage of this we've seen this i mean it's very clearly plays out whether it's on the youtube copy or this copy right here i mean the intense rivalry is shown right here between these guys the tension is definitely in the air with this guy with these guys uh you can tell what's on the line here and i've been trying to piece together kind of what's happening because um 
the you see the staging battle in the TV broadcast, um, and you see the staging battle in the home video footage that I have, but neither are complete. And mm-hmm. what you see Jack starting to climb out of the the truck and everything. And Kepner is doing a, a nice job of playing it up. Uh, he's waiting on Fred. And I'm not completely sure. Like, he's he's pointing at something on the track. And so I'm wondering if he's actually asking that something be fixed on the track. Um, but if he's not, if that's genuine frustration with Fred, it, from what I can piece together, Jack comes out, starts doing dry hops. Fred's doing his thing over in his lane kind of waits until Jack is done and then you, you hear some motor running while Jack is sitting on the, the, the door ledge of the truck and I think Fred has fired back up off of the line, backed up and started doing his own dry hops then and so these mm-hmm. guys are trying to get into each other's heads to uh, to gain that little bit of advantage and I think this goes on for a fair amount of time. This is not 15, 20, 30 seconds. I think we, we're probably looking at two minutes of these guys uh, staging battling. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is something you normally see in drag racing. And ironically, Fred Schaefer, former drag racer. I'm not sure about Jack. I think that's how they met, right? Yeah, drag they racing. were both former drag racers. So there's your explanation right there of these two dry hopping each other on the line. They're trying to psych each other out on the line, which is something drag racers have done since... Drag racing was invented, really. Uh, one quote that I really liked right here was from Jerry. It says, these two may be from the same area, but they don't eat at the same restaurants. <laughs> yeah. And it's impressive. We talk about the, the drag racing style burndown here that, that Brent mentions. And I've seen a lot of burndowns in drag racing where the guys will sit on the line and want the other guy to move first. I don't think I've ever seen anybody get out of their vehicle, though. So if that really was what happened, as, as Chris was mentioning, where if it wasn't him asking for something to be moved on the track or, or anything like that, and he literally just got out to prove a point and make Fred go into the lights first, that's amazing. I mean, just truly um, BDE, we'll call it. I'll leave it back. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, we get a close-up of uh jack as he climbs back in the truck and then we get close up on fred and we get the quote the quote i believe is from brett if looks could kill (laughs) and i gotta tell you the race here shows exactly that as we get a dead even launch off of the line Torres seems to have a bit of an edge entering the first corner but both drivers slide off the dirt onto the concrete schaefer has to go a little wider though and it costs him a lot of time right here he cuts back hits the cars at an awkward angle and it really messes him up as far as the last corner goes and by that point, it's all Jack Wilman and Taurus as he lays hard on the throttle out of the exit of the last turn, wins the race as Jerry proclaims, Taurus wins, Taurus wins. So we've got a championship battle here, folks. This one's not over. Oh, Brett, look what we got now. Taurus, Jack Wilman. And he'll be facing none other than Fred Schaefer in barefoot. Isn't it amazing that we have gone through some 60 events this year, yet the world championship battle comes down to one run. Now, the way this works... Jack Wilman, remember, intentionally qualified against Barefoot to make it in this first round pairing. 
Barefoot must win this race to automatically become the 1990 Camel World Champion. If Barefoot loses, Jack Wilman must go on to win the event in Taurus for him to win his first world championship. And Jerry, as we showed, as you showed at the beginning of the show, these guys really do not like each other. This isn't a fake rivalry. There's no love between these two. That's right. And, and you know what's more amazing yet is that these two are from the same city in Illinois. Yeah, a little town of Granite City across the Mississippi River from St. Louis. And for 60 events, they have traveled across the country only to race each other, and they live three miles from each other. They won't even eat in the same restaurant. It's amazing. It is amazing, the rivalry between these two. And I don't know exactly what's going on here, but it, it almost looks like we've got the monster truck version of a drag racing burn down here. I don't think either driver wants to be the first to stage up. Look at here. Right. Jack Woolman is climbing out of the truck. I wonder if he's not having mechanical problems or if he's just trying to play a psychological game here, sitting on the door, just waiting for Schaefer to line up. And now he's telling Schaefer, get that thing on the line. Oh, look at the look in his eyes. I'll tell you what, this is, like I said, this is no joke. This is a serious rivalry, a $50,000 battle. And now he's nodding his head. Put the mouthpiece in. Yeah, puts the He's not happy. He, he doesn't want to play any games. <laughs> well, if looks could kill. Yeah, Fred Schaefer is in the same frame of mind. Oh, what a way to end a season. What a way to determine a world champion. Now, Schaefer isn't even staged up yet. He hasn't moved. All right, here we go for $50,000. Good even run. They are, they're dead even going into that first turn. Schaefer goes wide, but so does Doris. Schaefer sideways, loses a lot of ground, but Wilman comes down hard. And they're even again at the last turn. Here they come. Schaefer goes wide, I think he's into the wall. Taurus wins, Taurus wins. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of the race. This is the going into the second turn. It looks like Fred Schaefer right here got out of it just a little bit. And this is my, what cost him the race because Jack Wilman stayed in it. He, look at this. Jack Wilman on his last turn comes on and he hits the pedal, flies over the car, clears over the entire car. I thought he was going to hit the wall, but he brings it to a stop. Jack Wilman with Taurus takes the win. It's not over yet, but I tell you what, these guys, you can tell how hard they were completely overdriving their trucks, trying to get to that finish line first. We saw how tightly they cut the corners in qualifying, and it's just a complete opposite now that the mud's on the track. Both trucks are completely out of control in the corners. Taurus is sliding. Barefoot is kind of hopping and sliding real bad. Jack almost lands in the mud pit on the final jump and takes it all the way to the wall. Even though he had the measure of Fred coming out of that final corner, he put the foot through the floor and made sure he was going to be to that finish line first. Exactly. Uh, one thing to point out here is at the very end, this interview that happens with Brett Kepner, and it, it makes me smile because you can still feel the tension after the interview. Freddie Schaefer is obviously not very happy, and during the interview, Fred fires up at least twice as Brett's trying to talk, and you can see the frustration on Kepner's face at Fred Schaefer. All Fred's trying to do, though, is fire to actually make and finish the pass. By this point, Taurus is parked at the end of the track. Jack Woman's out of the truck. He's doing his interview. Barefoot, we didn't cover, had slid so wide that it actually bumped the wall on the outside over here. And he hit it hard. I mean, yes, it, he did. It, 
the way the broadcast made it sound, he may have touched the wall. No, he slid full on power into the wall. It was a lick on that wall. Um, and so I, I feel like they actually underplayed that a little bit on the broadcast, which kind of surprised me. But yeah, Fred fired back up and finished his run. And I think that'll pay dividends later. But uh and then, actually, I almost wonder if there was confusion or what was going on on the track. Because, yes, Fred fired up twice. The first time was to finish the track. The second time, I'm curious if they were trying to hold him on the track initially so that they could do the TV interview and then perhaps fired him up and sent him out instead, just out of mis- miscommunication or something along those lines. Um, but watching the frustration on Kepner, it it's evident uh that he's not happy with the situation there yeah. not at all not at all speaking of if looks could kill yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly right? yeah by the by the end of it the story's about these two guys but by the end of it the story's about brett kepner <laughs> he starts out brett kepner and he ends up bill cower the famous pittsburgh steelers coach with the mustache and that scowl that he gives to fred <laughs> as he's passing by i mean it's it's they're basically the same person at that point you were busy, Jack, over here plowing into the wall, or plowing into a nosedive on the last stop. Freddie Shaver drove right into the wall, under power over there, and it was side by side. You didn't have an advantage at that point. No, there was no advantage. Just really slick down here. Of course, a lot slicker than it is at the other end. Of course, I thought, you know, I was going to get the wall, and actually, I thought probably I was going to lose the race because of this. Freddie Shaver, obviously not very happy. Fred Schaefer going around, finishing the course. What is going on is that Fred Schaefer is finishing the lap so that he gets a, a losing place in the first round. He is finishing the lap so that he officially finished the run. All he had to do was cross over his finish line, and he did. He officially, officially crossed over the run there after hitting the wall. Now, like we said, the way it works out officially is if he had beaten you, he would... All right, one more time. Had Barefoot beaten you, he would have won the world championship outright. Now, you have to win the event. You must go to the final and win. If you get runner-up, you'll lose the world championship by one point. If you win the event, you will win the world championship by one point. And if you didn't hear me already, you've got a certain blue Ford in the next round. You will have to race Bigfoot. Oh, is that who I got? I didn't know who I have, but... You know, let's, I got the first step, first two steps. I had to qualify so I could meet him, and then I had to put him away. We got through them two, and now we'll worry about the next two steps. And, you know, all I can do is just try and hope. Even though that was the toughest battle, like I said, this is far from over, Guy. It's it's still a war. Oh, that's, that's right. And, uh, you know, these two trucks that I got to come up against, uh, you know, they were running awful good. It's going to be incredible. Good luck, and congratulations on getting over that hurdle. Thank you. Unbelievable. Hey, oh, <laughs> reference. Hey, yeah. So did, you, question... did anybody catch, this is a backtrack real quick, but did anybody catch in the beginning of the broadcast, um, Jerry Devine pulling out the Brett Kepner un- unbelievable or trying to at least. Yeah. I caught it at the end of the broadcast. Oh, was that, okay. It was at the end. My yeah, bad. I caught it at the end. I didn't hear it at the beginning, but, um, 
All I can do is hope and try as the interview ends with Jack Wilman as we go into our next race, which was actually supposed to be the first race. Eliminator taking on Rocket. Uh, It technically was the first race, yes. The moment that Jack's interview finishes, we cut straight to this race, which I remember earlier when I was talking about how much I really like that live feel where they accidentally cut to the wrong camera. If you've just finished an interview with Jack and then cut directly into a race, it's like Taurus immediately pulled to the back and we just went green within about, a, I don't know, 2.5 seconds. <laughs> it was just a little weird of a cut right there for me. But like I said, these two trucks leave evenly the first time by. Rocket spins out on the exit of the final turn, which was going to be, it was going to be a great race up until that point. And Eliminator is going to move on to the next round. Final heat of the first round coming up. It's the Eliminator with Jim Reese from Buena Park, California, going against the AMPM Rocket, Dale Boucher. A good even start between the two trucks coming around the first turn. And remember, the Eliminator was your number one qualifier, so he's got the power, but it looks like Boucher has the advantage, Jerry. It's close. It's going to be close at the finish line. He goes wide. Whoa! It looks like he spun out. Here comes Reese going into his last turn. There's the rocket up into the mud pit. And again, we've got a situation where the event director, Tina Kelly, will hold up the Eliminator, while Dale Boucher, boy, he's all crossed up. He's not anywhere right. Well, Dale Boucher looks like he's going to pull right back out into the pit area and let Jim Reese finish his course. Now, that's sportsmanship, I'll tell you, because he, he could have actually turned that into a restart with only a couple of feet to go. But, boy, you can see the rear tires just broke loose. He spun around. Now, watch. I'm sure Reese looked over to see him sitting over there. Now, right about there is where he sees and uh, locks up the brakes, sees that the rocket is blocking his lane, and Jim Reese will be automatically given an, uh, an advancement into the next round. Yeah, not a ton to to talk about here in the race itself you know we've got a spin out from ampm rocket and i think and and guys we can you know get both of your opinions on this i think that because this taurus and barefoot race was last in reality that somebody told fred that he needed to go ahead and finish that run because ampm rocket just pulled off he didn't finish his run we've got four wheel crazy into the wall He's done. Evil Force is broke. And I'm wondering if maybe there was an issue with First Blood as well, to the point where maybe First Blood isn't going to be able to come back as the fast loser. Maybe they know this already at this point, and they tell Fred, hey, you basically got a free pass to the next round as long as you can go finish. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. It was something I was getting ready to point out as well, because obviously uh, Rob Fuse, if you time the runs, He's easily the fast loser, easily 100% fast loser. However, he's coming. Uh, he's not coming back to replace four wheel crazy. Fred Schaefer is, and we don't find out until the end of the broadcast, but this actually affects the points. What a wild, wild round. Now, wait a minute. We've just received word that Rob Morris of four wheel crazy will not be able to return. And because he was number two qualifier, barefoot will get back in the program for the next round, Jerry. Well, you can better believe that Jack Wilman is going to be upset with that. Yeah, it was interesting the way they spun it on the broadcast because you don't know if it's true because they seem to be suggesting that Fred was being brought back because he was the highest qualifier, essentially, that was out. Mm-hmm. And clearly, Fuchs was the fast loser in that situation if you compare the two. But we had a lot of other trucks that just didn't complete the run. So that's that you're I think you're right that Fred was very wise to just 
finish the run. And that that may be an accurate description of the situation. I do know that uh, or it, it, it from my discussions, it sounds like there were several people very upset that uh, Fred was being brought back as a fast loser. I bet you can guess who these parties might have been. Did he drive a maroon truck? Well, he's one of them. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, well, who's the other ones? Do we uh, have any they, other ones? Well, I, I imagine mean, a blue Ford. I can also imagine hat. a red Chevrolet. <laughs> uh, if there's one thing that rings true pretty much throughout the careers, it's Bigfoot and Barefoot loathed each other. And loathed may not be a strong enough word. And so, yes, there was a lot of drama taking place that will still continue to surface as we discuss this episode um, between the Dr. Scholes family. Eliminator and Barefoot is your first semifinal round matchup that we get right here. It's actually a battle of the number one and two in qualifying. Reese starts off very slow right here. It's evident that Eliminator has some stumbling going on in the transmissions that takes off off the line. Barefoot leads to the first turn. However, it pushes wide. Fred has to correct the truck. And by that point, Reese is back with him. He's actually got a little bit of a lead on Fred around over the first set of car or the first time by on the cars. We come to the finish line. Almost looks like Fred's taking it conservatively easy at this point. Because Reese goes on to take the win, and Fred just gets flat out beat by the Eliminator right here. We're back at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, Illinois, for the U.S. Hobbit Association 1990 points final. And, Jerry, it's kind of appropriate that at this event, certainly the wildest monster truck race in the 16-year history of this class, that we would have the two machines that were the first ever built for this type of motorsports, Bigfoot and Barefoot. It's, it's neat as well as the founders of Indoor Motorsports and the United States Hot Rod Association, Ed Thayer and Tony Vaccaro are here. That's true. They were the people that brought this kind of sport to the masses from coast to coast across the United States and Canada. Here's a unique situation. Barefoot is back in the program because rookie of the year, Rob Morris and the four-wheel crazy could not return. He's against Jim Reese and the Eliminator. This has changed the whole deal. Jim Reese, a strong competitor, and it looks like Jim Reese might have a problem yeah, here. Yeah, definitely. And, and Fred Schaefer also having traction problems. In fact, Jim Reese was able to make up a lot of the time that he lost there. Look at Schaefer. He's, he's really gone conservative here. And the Eliminator beats him. Unbelievable. It shows how different the track continues to develop throughout these rounds. We saw Fred go so wide before. This time, he really tiptoes around the corners, and he's able to keep it on the dirt, but he just can't do it with the speed. And even though he swings wide for that last corner and kind of goes off the concrete a little bit to get in, he still has trouble keeping it on the dirt coming out compared to that qualifying run where he almost cut it too tight. And the difference here is that the Ecology Eliminator simply turns better. I'm not sure if it's the suspension setup, the way the springs were ha or, you know, hanging on the chassis, because Barefoot is a little bit lower than it was earlier in the season. Fred had that crash in Union Grove, Wisconsin. Uh, what was it, like August, September, something like that. And then he rebuilt his truck with the front-facing suspension, a little bit similar to Bigfoot. So we've got a, a difference in handling here and the truck on paper that should win just doesn't handle around this track anymore. Yeah. Fred 
definitely learned a lesson from his round one loss and was trying to remedy that in round number two and really did take it too conservatively. He was trying to tiptoe around, but I think, Matt, you hit it on the head that uh, it's just a difference in handling between the trucks. Um, and, And another little tidbit here. Interestingly, this was the second semifinal round in the live event versus the first semifinal round in the uh, the broadcast. So some more finagling going on. We're seeing kind of a, re- a repetitive uh, idea going on here. Yep, that we are. This next gentleman is basically to me the definition of safety third. We'll put it that way. Uh, a lot of people may remember this race more than the barefoot Taurus race that we talked about earlier. This is Bigfoot and Taurus. This is Jack Wilman trying to close out a championship. He's trying to go on to beat Bigfoot right here to get a chance at the final round and to eventually win and take a number one uh, or take a number one championship of the points, winning by one point. So as you were saying earlier, Chris, this race actually ran first. So at this point, I can assume Jack Wilman doesn't have a clue that Fred Schaefer's coming back as fast loser. He may, go but ahead. but yeah, he has not seen him race and lose, so he doesn't know that Jack or that. If he knows that Fred is coming back, he doesn't know that Fred's already lost because Fred hasn't already lost yet in the live event. Yeah, exactly. One thing to point out before we start anything on this, our starter for these races has been in the center of the mud pit, standing on a piece of plywood with the lights. Mm -hmm. There are also cameramen on the outside of the track on the floor for this event. Very scary to think of when you look back at this and you see why in this race. Go ahead, Chris. I will also point out that from night one in the home video, you had starters staging the trucks standing in the mud pits as well all night long. The interesting fact to me is that for night two, the stagers are on the outside of the track standing on the concrete now they are no longer standing on the mud pit because there weren't any Taurus close calls but you could see it on the horizon there were a couple close calls in the turns you could see trucks swinging wide and out of shape coming out of the out of the turns trying to get to the cars so the astounding thing is that after the incidents of the first night that somebody is still standing in the middle of the track with all these trucks out of shape and with everything on the line the second night things were just bound to get more out of hand and they definitely did in this situation that they did and uh, it's unfortunate that in this big kind of a race that we see an incident like this happen let's just go ahead and describe the race guys bigfoot and taurus obviously in the matchup Bigfoot's going to get a slight little bit of a hole shot uh, over the first set of cars. And at the exit of the turn, you can almost see Wilman panic just a little bit because he knows he's behind at this point. He's behind Bigfoot. He overshoots the entry to the last corner. It pushes him wide. Something that I didn't catch in the YouTube broadcast that I watched that I did in yours, Chris, is there's actually somebody running away from Taurus on the sidelines of the building that I did not catch when I first watched this. So that's one guy he almost hits. The second person that he does practically hit is the the man that we were just talking about. Bigfoot actually sees how wide Taurus is. He sees that Jack's on the throttle. Pyant does the smartest thing I think John Pyant ever did, and that was hit the brake. You never saw Pyant ever hit the brake, but here he hits the brake. 
Torres comes flying. He actually does get both fronts on the jump, which surprised me, but he flies across the mud pit, hits the starting lights, which pushes the starting light directly down into the starter's back. It hit him so hard. Ouch. It broke the lights straight out of the truck. Jack stays on the throttle and comes about that close to nailing the side of Bigfoot, which Pyant does pull forward a little bit to avoid any further contact, but he may have brushed yeah. Bigfoot, but it could have been a lot harder had Pyant not had the presence of mind to hit the throttle and pull forward a little bit. Like I said, definition of this race was safety third as far as I was concerned. It was an incredibly stupid thing to have this starter in the middle of the track the entire weekend. Jack Wellman has had the roughest road of anybody here at this event. First round, he takes on the points leader, Barefoot. Now, in order to win that $50,000 Camel World Championship, he's got to get past the best-known truck in the world. You can see the concentration on Jack Wellman's face. Hey, this is going to be just as much a war as any first-round battle we saw. They leave the line. Look at that! Probably the two best launches we've seen throughout the event. They go into the first turn, a lot of tires spin for Plant. He gets sideways. Still even. Look at this. Dead heat. Boy, they are. They're dead even. Wilman getting real aggressive. Going way wide, though. Trying to straighten it out. Look out, look out. I don't believe my eyes. Jeff Morgan in the center of the track. It looks like he might have gotten clipped. I, I am almost positive that our starter, he's on his feet. He's obviously okay in the center of the mud pit, but you can see the crew is going out to see if he's all right. It, it certainly looked like he was actually run over by the Taurus Chevy of Jack Wilman. That, that, that's the scariest situation I've ever seen in this sport. Unbelievable. Let's take a look at the replay now. It, it almost looked like uh, Taurus may have hit Big, Bigfoot as well at the end of that course. The Christmas tree is totally destroyed. There you see Morton telling him to keep racing, telling him to get the track clear and bring out the next pair. That guy's got guts. The ball's all missing out of the tree. Here right. comes Taurus now. All right, you see that rough landing. That may have caused Wilma to lose his bearings completely. That was rough enough to almost knock him out. He is under power. You can see him spinning the tires as he goes around the turn. Then the rear end comes around as the machine is definitely losing traction. But he gets right back in the throttle, and it just doesn't respond to the steering. He's got the wheels cranked, Jerry. Now watch. Look at Morton running out of the way. There's, there's the bulbs flying out of the tree, and it looks like the, the tree itself, the, the metal part of the tree, Hit Jeff Morgan in the back. Let's look at it again. I can't tell if it's the rear tire of Taurus or the Christmas tree pole, as you said, that hits him in the back. I'm almost, boy, oh, that, that is just incredible. I'm almost inclined to believe that both of them hit him, Jerry. And then he comes over, Wilman comes over, and it looks like Tag's Bigfoot. Pyant saw him coming and actually got on the brakes. But John Pyant is awarded the win, and Jeff Morgan, the U.S. Hobbit Association starter, Jerry, should get a medal for Actions above and beyond the call of duty on that one. Well, guys, we got to remember, this is the first weekend that they're running this kind of a track. So they don't really have the the history to go off of, especially that first night as Chris was talking. You know, at least they realize there's an issue with having the, the officials there that close to the corners and they move them out. But how do they logistically get these trucks started with the tree where it is? Um, without running a cable through the crush cars and possibly getting cut or something like that. So, I mean, it's, it's, there, there's other solutions. The tough situation. There's, there's, well, yeah. yeah, there's, well, there's other solutions that they, they don't probably consider at the time. Um, they've got the one tree to go off of. I would have probably, assuming you had enough cord, I would have run the cord possibly under 
the crush cars if he could have or something and have the guy off to the side. But, you know, this is, again, they're working as they go and kind of workshopping this idea of this track. And, man, Jim Harris uh, had a had somebody looking over him this day because it could have been a really, really bad deal. And it's it's amazing that the pole hits him in the back and knocks him down just as Taurus's tire is going over his back. And I don't see a tread print on his shirt. Um, his pants are all muddy because he goes knees first into the mud. Uh, hang on. Are you sure that that's mud at that point? <laughs> Charmin well, yeah. moment. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I hate it's, to make it's, fun of it, but. There's, a, there's something going on either way. But I'll tell you what. Jim Harris no-sells the whole thing. He pops <laughs> up and just says, all right, get the next heat out here which you know now that we know is actually going to be the race with you know the second race of this round with barefoot and ecology eliminator um which may give an example as to why fred maybe was being so timid on the throttle um you know having just seen that kind of thing happen but having seen that happen and at that point we can let the cat out of the bag by him coming back as fast loser he clinches the points championship Yes, and and especially with Jack now, I'm assuming somehow being disqualified because he doesn't come back for these finals, and it's going to be Pyant that moves on. Um, this race is really just a culmination of all of the pressure that is that are on these competitors to go out and perform. And when you have human involvement in the middle of the track like that. Uh, it's it's certainly an example as to why we don't have officials out on the floor while trucks are performing anymore. Um, Honestly, this show could be an entire safety po- point for any tech in yeah. Monster Jam to watch. This show is your safety video for Monster Jam, as far as I'm concerned. This is it the, also the shows how much we've evolved over the years as well. Oh, yes, yeah, very much. So. Such emphasis point in modern monster trucks. We've got the, the the lights now at either end of the arena if you're doing this kind of a setup where they're run with cords through the stands around, you know, out of harm's way. Um, of course, where we're at in the industry now, I think they're actually running RIIs at this race, at least on some of the trucks. You see yeah. the transmitter see the um, yeah. in, in the officials' hands in some cases with Taurus and I think with Barefoot. I'm sure Bigfoot's running RIII as well. Mm-hmm. But um, we, we've, we definitely want to take any chance we can to make sure that these events are safe as possible and jim harris was lucky on this day to shake hands with danger and come out alive yeah very much so a very lucky man probably the luckiest person on earth at that point but like i said there was other safety issues on this as well there was a guy running off the side of the track there was the fact that he almost ran into bigfoot at the other end when there's fifteen thousand dollars on the line people are going to push it and like you said on a show we did a couple of weeks ago matt these guys would race just as hard for a stick of bubble gum. But imagine well, having race, that much money on the line as well. They, they'd race hard for a stick of bubble gum, uh, but they're going to run even harder for a lot of sticks of bubble gum. So, exactly. Uh, it's, put, it, put it into context, though. $15,000 in 1990 is about the equivalent of $31,500 today. Yeah. I mean, so that's some legit dough on the line there. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think the event shows the the drama surrounding that um something that you mentioned josh that uh i i thought was interesting you, you talked about uh Pyant, uh wisely hitting the brakes 
however, I am going to present that if you slow-mo the video there, Pyant is slowing up basically out of the corner. Like he accelerates just a little bit and then he slows up almost like the truck is dying. Um, he's not that because can be made as well. Yes. Where he starts slowing down. Jack's off to the side. He hasn't hit the cars like he's not coming into the mud pit when Pyant hits the brakes. And so I would argue that they could he he should be very easily still racing at that point. Uh, so maybe there was a problem. Um, now, this is where things get interesting. Um, and talking to who I've talked to, uh, I, I was a little surprised by some of what I heard. But then I got the same story from both sides that I talked to where Bigfoot was locked into third. Bigfoot hated Fred Schaefer. Hated Fred Schaefer. I heard accusations from both sides that I talked to that Pint was laying down. Now, that's unbeknownst to, in this case, unbeknownst to Jack or Fred, mm -hmm. for that matter, uh, until after the fact. But I had both echoing Pyant laid down and I freeze framed and I can't confirm it, but there's a lot to support that in this video as well, especially when you look at the, uh, the home video as well. And even then now he almost gets hit as well. Um, but then Pyant almost has a hesitant to go across the finish line now that you could argue that that's because you don't know where people are at that point because um, the official could have dove over towards his lane um, but you almost see a hesitancy to cross the finish line as well and so uh, call it a conspiracy theory but there's a little bit of support there Put on your tinfoil hats, folks. Right. Well, I'm, <laughs> I, I can't necessarily disagree going back and watching this in real time. Pyant's on the brakes and when he needs power he has it it's not like the truck died and he got it refired in a quarter of a second the truck was still running and the transmission was still engaged so i can believe that it was in the interest of the bigfoot team to not have fred schaefer win that championship if it was at all possible um given you know the position they were in on this night so I, I mean, hey, it's not like it's team orders because they're different teams, but um, trying to manipulate the outcome of an event is something that is prevalent in motorsports throughout history. And boy, if it was a master plan that the Bigfoot team had, they almost pulled it off. Yeah, very true. That's something I honestly did not notice, Parrish, was uh, him coming out of the corner and slowing at, po at the point that he did. But boy, sure, I'm looking back on it now as well. I can kind of see see their point just a little bit that maybe that maybe that was what was happening. Honestly, we'll probably never know the answer to that unless I, we talk yeah, to I, John Pyant. And I know a guy that might know him. He used to work for his company, so I might have yeah, to give a guy a uh, let's let's call up Jason Rona one of these days and actually get the answer <laughs> to this. Maybe we'll have maybe we'll have an update for for you in post. Well, yeah, we'll have maybe. to call uh, Robert Stack. He can host Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, and uh, 
and maybe one day this will be solved but uh but that was something that came up that i thought that's certainly interesting uh so throwing a little fuel on the fire with this whole thing this whole drama ball that we've been talking about for the last bit yeah one thing i will say is if you had a balls of steel award it would definitely go to the starter in the middle of the track right there as soon as he as soon as he gets hit with this thing it's like it doesn't even bother him he's running on adrenaline at that point he pops back up and he says all right let's go he's the second, ready to go it's the second imp- case of bde in this episode there we go. Two VDE <laughs> cases in the middle of this episode right there. Uh, I will say this to close out this portion of the show. Uh, this is without a shadow of a doubt the scariest incident for our sport to ever be aired on television as far as I'm concerned. Still 31 years later, you basically see a man almost lose his life right here. And there are some arguments out there that could say that this should have never made air. It would never make air today. That's for sure. It really is one of the more incredible safety moments and lucky moments in the history of monsters. Extremely right? lucky. And Extremely so, lucky. Uh, very fortunate with the way it came out, and it made for uh, an exciting and suspenseful moment. Um, but let's never do that again. Exactly. Uh, I did find it almost a little bit of a chill. And as soon as they say, hey, he's been checked out by the paramedics, he's okay, we cut to an immediate shot of Bob Chandler in the crowd, tipping his hat to the crowds. Oh, there he is, the originator of monster truck racing. This incredibly serious moment's followed up by, look, it's Bob. And perhaps yeah. they just had to break up the moment. Uh, yeah, it, 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 that's what they needed to do. I just, To me, that jumped out at me as a little bit funny. Uh, we come back from commercial, though. We're going to jump into Mud Racing Part 2 on this, and I'm just going to list off some times here. we got Let's Boogie, uh, Tony Fierot with a 2.126, smooth. However, he misses the final four by three one-thousandths of a second here. 2.12 is going to be a consistent time throughout this as Ground Zero runs a 2.121, but he DQs at the end, which would have been good enough for the final four. Uh, bad Habit, Byron Tinky, I love his last name, 2.14. Red Heat with Melvin Brown, a 2.27. Stumpy T, Jody Kelly behind the wheel, he's the 1990 Rookie of the Year at a 2.149. Wild Cherry, Rick Holmes, 2.82. And Blue, B-L-E-W, Max, Melvin Brown's second car at a 2.775. Uh, our final four, though, is going to be Michigan Off-Road, American Made, Instant T, and Gold Fever. Uh, Instant T comes out with Chad Miller. He DQs, hits the wall really hard, actually, at a 2.12. The actual winner of the event, though, is going to be Michigan Off-Road, who set the quick ET in round number one. A 1.95 in round one, and a 2.10 is his actual final time. He wins the competition, but we don't see any runs from Gold Fever or American Made. Uh, We're told, excuse me, we're told Gold Fever just didn't run due to a breakage, but we're not really given a reason to why American Made didn't make a pass. Not sure why um yeah who knows <laughs> it, just, it, was a little, it was a little weird you you, you you talk about the final four and then you only show two passes you think they would have had a little bit more of an explanation as far as gold fever and american made go gold fever is obviously an explanation hey he's broke but american made really not much of an information given other than they do say he does still hold a record at a 1.71 i believe pass uh for that particular evening in the prelims but we're finally here, ladies and gentlemen. We're to the final round of this Chicago Finals of 1990. It's a college eliminator in Bigfoot. A bit of a rivalry in its own self here as we've got the California Monster Truck team taking on the originators of Monster Trucks over here. And these guys have had some wars in this year. 
they have, and these two teams will have an even bigger war just about a month and a half later in Anaheim. Uh, we'll have mm-hmm. to cover that event one one week here on the Retro Monster Truck Review. But the finals are shaping up with two of the best trucks on the circuit in 1990. We've got the Eliminator, who ends up fifth, versus Bigfoot, who ends up third in points. It's shaping up to be a good final here. That it is. Uh, before we actually get into the final, though, it's official at this point. Fred Schaefer is your 1990 USHRA world champion. And in this battle, we're going to have a Ford versus a Chevrolet. And Chris, uh, like you said, you've had access to different portions of video on this. Is there anything different in the actual home video broadcast of this than the home the broadcast television editing? Generally speaking, uh, this event, we had a couple things out of order a little bit. But as far as the content uh, of each race, it doesn't really vary a whole lot. And so it's been pretty consistent on that front. There's not been a lot of manipulation um, of the actual content like we've seen in other broadcasts. Um, I will clarify, though, for the finals, um, they are set up. The officials are on the side with along the wall with Ecology Eliminator flagging the start. Uh, So you have compromised your lighting system at this point. And so you have to uh, shuffle to find a, a new way to, to start this finals because the show must go on. And so they're, they're exactly. doing what they can and uh, they've got to find somewhere where the, where both drivers can see where the flagman is. Uh, they do have the benefit that they're not running full containment seats like we do these days and so uh and they the can drivers have the a right more, and left and see everything. yeah they have a little more movement. ability to look sideways but uh this isn't but, yeah. a world finals two situation with brian bartle and um i think it was lyle hancock where bartle couldn't see the flag being waved that's a whole nother thing too we've got to cover world finals two on this broadcast eventually but uh and this race right here like you said they're waving a flag from the stands unfortunately this isn't even really a race uh, Eliminator has transmission issues straight off the line. Bigfoot leaves the line hard, comes around the first turn, and parked directly in front of him is Eliminator. Ironically, in this entire evening, John Pyant made one legal pass, and that was the semifinals. And in that pass, he stops and goes. It's not like he ran a complete, really fast pass in the racing bracket. His qualifying pass and here are the and, and then semifinals are really the only two passes he had to push the truck. That might be the easiest win in John Pyant's career if you look at it from his standpoint. Well, here's the finals in the monster trucks. Bigfoot, John Pyant going to go against Jim Reese in the Ecology Eliminator. You know, we had so many people say they came here to see Bigfoot win, but Jim Reese just might be the spoiler for the Chevy fans here in this final. We've already seen the world championship wrapped up by Barefoot and Fred Shaver, but now we've got the event title to determine with the machine that started it all against one of the new young lions. Well, the crowd here at the Rosemont Horizon will love this one because it's a Ford Chevy battle. Bob Chandler, the creator of Bigfoot and monster trucks in general, for that matter, looking on. As we pointed out, the U.S. Hobbit Association officials, the hierarchy that brought indoor motorsports to the United States 16 years ago. Looking on at the finals of the wildest monster truck race ever run. Jim Reese has to hold his truck together for just one more run. Here we go. Uh-oh. It looks like Reese is in big trouble. Ryan is coming around the first turn, and Reese can't even get over the cars. Jerry Bigfoot is going to win this one on a free ride. 
Jim Reese having some unfortunate transmission problems that just faded away at the last moment. Yeah, he survived that transmission problem for qualifying through two rounds of elimination. The transmission was falling in and out of gear in the first two rounds, and now there's not even enough fluid left in that uh, transmission case to get the thing off the cars. And John Pyatt sitting in Bigfoot has got to be elated. He's just got to be thrilled. Yeah, he had uh, no competitive passes all night long outside of qualifying. And so uh, I guess you could say he did his part in qualifying and then just made the laps later on. It's it's really a bummer that all this build up and the final race of the entire season comes down to basically a mechanical failure. It's unfortunate, um, but hey, Pine ends up the winner and. He John even says in his interview uh, a number of things. Well, for one, he says that everyone was lucky to come out of that accident okay in round number two. And he says he thought he drove poorly, uh, but he tried to stay consistent. And hey, on this kind of a track and on this night, consistency is what's really going to end up mattering overall. You know, for the event win, it's it's going to be John Pine and Bigfoot taking the final win on the 1990 Camel Mud Monster Series. And the crowd loves it. Well, John, you've got to be thrilled with this victory, but you have to admit the second round against Taurus was an extremely bizarre situation. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, you know, everyone involved is really lucky that no one, everyone come out okay. And uh, it's just one of the weird things that happens. First time I've ever seen anything like that. I should point out, though, that your driving all night long was right there with the best of them. You did have some of the quickest times throughout eliminations, and it looked like you were the one that was able to handle a very, very slippery track. Yeah, I feel like I drove uh, kind of poorly, actually, but it's uh, just... Just trying to be consistent and just keep the truck pointed in the right direction as, as it was a key for the win. Well, after the first round, it was not a horsepower track. It was a driver's track, and you ended up being the driver, buddy. All right, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, your winner tonight, the 1990 National Points Final, John Pyant and Bigfoot. Yeah, and Pyant, don't count Pyant out nearly anywhere in this series at all, but on this night, with as hard as these trucks were running, you could almost argue that he got incredibly lucky to get the win that he did, but at the same time, a win is a win, and Pyant walks away with it. Uh, unfortunate breakage for Jim Reese. I fully believe that he could have won this race had it not been for the transmission issues. Ecology Eliminator is a tough truck no matter where it's running, and right here is an example of just unfortunate parts failures uh, kind of bringing an end to an incredible racing bracket, really. It really is, and we come back here after the final commercial break where we've got Brad Kepner and Jerry Devine talking with Tom Martin as well, who is our MUD champion for the year, and man, what an incredible year for both of these folks. Tom Martin getting a $7,500 check as well from the people at Camel for his points season win, so a lot to fight for on the mud racing side as well. At the end of 45 events for the 1990 Camel U.S. Auburn Association season, Tom Martin has ended it on a winning note to become the first man ever to win this series. Three years in a row, and Tom, even though you were disqualified tonight, I know you're very happy with the new car. Well, I'm real happy. We had one of the fastest runs here tonight, and the, the, the stopping line was a little greasy, but that car's going to be fast all year. You know it. Now that you've done it three consecutive times, which is something nobody had ever done it twice, let alone three, what are you looking for? What do you want to achieve in this sport? 
Well, I want to go out there and win more races than anyone's ever won, and that's my goal. And you're right there with that right now. In fact, the U.S. Auburn Association results of this event will probably prove that you've won more races in three years than anybody else. Jeff Hope and Miss Winston, Elizabeth Williams, are bringing over the check right now. The winner's share of the 1990 U.S. Auburn Association Camel World Championship. And that obviously is what makes it all worth it. Well, I'll tell you what, this is going to help out the old racing budget, and this is going to make things a little easier for us. And certainly Camel's involvement has changed the face of this sport, I would imagine. That's right. You know, Camel comes in with R.J. Reynolds and, and with the Hot Rod Association. This is the best series we've ever had, and I know it's going to get better and bigger, and it's going to be great in 1991. Well, indeed, as the reigning champion, congratulations. And this is the man who will reign as the killer through the 1991 season and beyond. Yeah, and Tom also says, hey, you know what? I want to go down in history to be the guy that wins the most on the circuit. He's won three championships, and by that point, he probably is the number one guy on the tour as far as wins go. Fred Schaefer cannot believe how the night turned out. He said that it's said that the fastest losing time here is what brought Fred back and what really sealed the deal for the championship for him. Fred went from fast Fred went for fast qualifier and it helped him pay off. I found that interesting that he said fast qualifier. So that tells me that they went back to qualifying times to bring Fred back and not a fast loser time. So that could be why we saw Rob Fuchs not come back. In one of the most bizarre sets of circumstances we have ever seen, in one of the most violent wars we have ever seen, there is finally a winner, and it is Fred Schaefer in the Barefoot Chevrolet. And Fred, even you could not have possibly imagined that it would have gotten this weird. I could never believe it would turn out like it turned out, really. It just took a matter of luck when Rob Morris crashed to get you back in, and that wrapped it up. That did it. When uh, the fastest loser came back in on my qualifying time, that, that's what wrapped it up. Well, at the beginning of the event, you had said that if qualifying was going to play just as an important role as eliminations would, and you were right on. I, I went for the fast qualifier, and I always do, and it, it paid off. It sure did. And standing next to us, Jeff Hope and uh, Elizabeth Williams, Miss Campbell again, bringing out your check. This one for $15,000, the largest winner's purse ever for a monster truck event or event series, and that has to make it worth it for you. Thank you very much, Brett. It's, it's been a, a long, hard battle. I'm glad it's finally over. Thank you. It is very possible, and that's something that I kind of had in my notes as well. If it wasn't a matter of Fred just getting a, re a legal run to be the fast loser, if, if uh, Rob didn't have issues, it was a legal run so that he had a legal run to be able to come back based on his qualifying time. If he would have not finished, I'm sure then he wouldn't have come back. So it uh, it was an interesting night. It was a night of making sure you uh, dot your I's and cross your T's. <laughs> and especially for cross Fred, your instant it, T, cross your instant T. That too. That's um, a mud joke. In in Fred's case, it's a it's a decision that ended up making a pretty good payday for him at the end of the night. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think second place here got the equivalent of what the mud racer uh, Tom Martin won in his full season championship. I think that Jack walked away with 7,500 from there. You could sure guess is as good as mine. Uh, Jerry and Brett wrap up the show here with Jerry saying 91 is going to be unbelievable. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I want to point out Go ahead. that... Uh, USHRA broadcasts are notorious for having spelling errors on names of trucks, names of drivers. And throughout this event, they did a really good job with that until Fred Schaefer's championship 
title screen comes up uh, on the screen uh, yes. where we have Fred Schaefer. Fred Schaefer. C stuck in there. <laughs> Schaefer is S-H-A-F-E-R. And on the screen, after spelling it correctly all night long, when they announce him the 1990 Monster Truck Points winner, it's Fred Schaefer with an S-C-H. Uh, brutal. So I've, I've got the Monster Truck Racing Points Fund up here, thanks to our friends at the USCF Library, uh, mm-hmm. where during those tobacco lawsuits a lot of stuff was made public from the tobacco industry and the monster truck racing points fund of fifty thousand dollars for 1990 fifteen thousand to our winner fred schaefer eight thousand dollars to the number two points finisher which is taurus and jack wilman sixty five hundred to the bigfoot team uh fourth place overall four wheel crazy rob morris gets a six thousand dollar check from the people at rj reynolds Fifth place, Ecology Eliminator, Jim Reese, five grand. Still not a bad day for uh, the folks in California. Sixth place, 4,000, which goes to Rob Fusion, First Blood. Hey, that'll get you two tear tires in 1990. Mm -hmm. Uh, Seventh place overall, Evil Force, Ray Perkowski, three grand. And 2,500 for the AMPM Rocket of Dale Boucher. So these uh this last final race and it says the top eight monster trucks qualify for the season ending shootout and that's what we had here in chicago at the rosemont horizon what a an incredible night i wish that they would have broadcast maybe even both nights of racing um so that they could have laid this story out even more over multiple weeks i think it would have been really cool but you know we get at least the grand finale here in in the house of uh you know this well I don't know if it's a house of anything, but the house, it's that, the, the house that the wind didn't blow down in the Windy City. Well, uh, at least once it saying, was fully built, it was it was blown down during construction. Unfortunately, some people uh, lost their lives, but um, it's okay, it's I, the house that, that that Fred won in. We can we say go. that it's the house that Fred Schaefer built. We'll put it that way. Uh, yeah. Ninth and tenth in points. I did happen to find that in the old monster truck results threads way back in the day that they have, those forums haven't been posted on forever but i did find ninth and tenth ninth chucky palkin and excalibur and tenth high voltage and jeff boehner rounds out your top 10 uh as we close the show out i don't know if you guys thought this was weird but i thought it was we get a random pass of bigfoot from the superdome where it blows the motor and then the et pops up and that's the end of our show <laughs> right before I, credits I'm like uh, what why is the et for bigfoot being shown right here at the end of this in a race that it that was nothing on this show, but it's a show we got to talk about eventually. I mean, it, it's a heck of a race, but at the same time, it's why end the show with that and then just show a random ET pass. Yeah, they must we, have used feed. Yeah, we, we talked about the uh, production quality being reasonably high, at least as far as uh, the graphics go mm-hmm. throughout most of the broadcast. And then you get to the end and it's like they started losing interest a little bit or stopped uh, paying attention because you had the the spelling error on your champion's name through the the highlights recapping the uh, the the points rundown for both classes mud and monsters uh, I found it odd that you had random name titles popping up for different competitors but not all the competitors i don't know if that was pulled from another video and they just stuck that in there as an underlay and then to to polish it off on the outro (laughs) you have the credits there with the uh the The the, random bigfoot pass yeah the the 
New Orleans Bigfoot Pass with the time and everything. They didn't even pull the graphic off of there. Yeah. Um, so I thought it kind of ended on a shoddy looking note, actually. The interns came up one cup of coffee short <laughs> in this editing effort. I think one cup of coffee and a little bit of sugar, I would probably say uh, the story told in this episode, though, gentlemen, is probably one of the best stories in monster truck racing history. This points championship coming down to just a four point battle between basically two guys that did not like each other. This kind of puts you back in the day whenever you'd see Richard Childress and uh, Jack Roush and NASCAR just kind of eyeballing each other and one accusing the other of cheating and eventually costing Mark Martin a 1990 points championship over a, a small little penalty that cost him about 25 points. But this race right here is probably the equivalent of that as far as I'm concerned. Uh, like I said, it's unfortunate the events that we have happen in the semifinals. But that first round, that might be the most intense first round in Monster Truck history as far as I'm concerned. I have to agree. I mean, people always talk about the legendary races and whether it's the the Bigfoot versus Carolina Crusher at Louisville. And that's an incredible event start to finish as well. Um, the wheelie run from brass and whatever else you want to throw out. But this event has got to be, if not a top five, at least a top 10 overall, despite the fact that we kind of end on a bum note with, with the breakage from Eliminator, the drama and the story told in this hour of television is absolutely some of the best we've ever had in the industry. And it's a shame that some of the other tight points titles that we had, especially in 92, it came down to the last night as well. And we didn't get to see that race on TV. We had to read about it in the 93 yearbook and that's all we got. So it's a shame that we didn't see more of this and more of these fall USHRA events televised when we had really tight points races and they were racing for money and racing hard every single night, putting the trucks on kill. We at least got one of them though this 1990 finals here in Chicago. Yeah. And what a finals it was. Chris, you have yeah. anything you want to wrap the show up with? You see, I am, uh, I'm going to echo some of what you said and I'm going to disagree a little bit as well, though. Uh, I am going to give, I would give this one high scores for, uh, production and drama building and storytelling. Um, but we only had a few, good races and even those were only really good some of those were only really good because of the drama involved not because they were strictly good races four-wheel crazy first blood race of the night exactly. um, but other than that uh barefoot versus taurus lots of drama but not a super close race i mean taurus barefoot washed out in the end and hit the wall and taurus uh took the 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 win and so it was an interesting race it wasn't necessarily a close race it was probably a pretty good race well you could um, argue though some races they don't need to have a close finish for them and to that's be a really true. good race and that was one of them and, and I'd, I'd agree with that and then you have barefoot versus or i'm sorry taurus versus bigfoot uh in, in the close call which was also full of drama um and, and was arguably a good race altogether um, but there were also some, some lackluster, very lackluster races in there that kind of surprised me. And so it kind of neutralizes some of the excitement, but you do have great drama happening here and some great races with some big heavy hitters. And I thought it was awesome that they actually had the legit top eight competing in the event because, um, we've all been around and, and been fans of monster trucks as well for long enough to know that 
even if you say you're going to invite your top trucks, not everybody can make the event for one reason or another. And so the fact that that happened here is very neat. And uh, and the history that Rosemont plays in the monster truck industry, this is some of the foundation of that. And uh, and so it is it's cool to have that that video available and on, on TV. So it was a neat broadcast. Uh, so as far you... as as far as our ratings through uh, one through ten, I myself I'm chiming in at about a seven for everything. Uh, the broadcast it would have been an eight up until the very end of the broadcast, where it seems like like we were talking earlier, they just kind of like uh, and they just threw what they could at it, and they don't even remove an ET time out of a replay that's closing out a show. That th- those couple of little things right there at the very end, misspelling Fred Schaefer's name as well, that dropped it down about a point for me down to a seven Uh, as far as the racing goes like you were saying chris round one to me is the most hyped round one i think i've ever heard in monster truck racing round two semifinals because of the accident that we have right there that it drops the racing down just a little bit for me because that's an obvious safety issue as far as i'm concerned and that's something i still feel i know that this is the first time they're doing something like that but Tell me if that sounds like a good idea. And we're going to have our guy that starts the race also at the finish line. I mean, even in 1990, that has to sound just a little bit dumb, at least to me. But uh, like I said, 7 out of 10 for me, and I'll pass this on to our esteemed guests. Either Matt or Chris, you can chime in. Go ahead, Chris. Well, I am going to, uh, I think I'm going to be right in your range there. Um, A lot of the same targets that you had, um, the Production was really good for a while. Eh, well, it was it was solid for a while. We had a couple odd shots in there, and then some of the the lower third graphics kind of went downhill towards the end. Uh, they kind of phoned it in there, but great drama in the event, as I mentioned already. Some pretty good races, some bad races. I I chimed in with a six and a half on this one. You know, guys, I'm a little bit more of a sucker for the drama aspect of this show. Um, I th- I think the entertainment is what makes this show good, more so than some of the small technical issues. I mean, I have to give a zonk on the qualifying times just not matching up in my reality and some of the, the production issues you guys have already mentioned. But for me, I'm going to say... Uh, 8.8 and give that guy one more cup of coffee. It's an easy nine. And uh, I think we have one of the best early USHRA broadcasts ever, Uh, especially at this point where they're still doing all their production in-house. It's one of the best. Um, I'm going to go a little high just because I think the story told outweighs some of the issues here. If you could rate the story, honestly, the story being told here is 10 out of 10. Oh, yeah. But the broadcast that it's put into, there are a few issues with, and that's the only reason my, my ratings came down a little bit. Uh, I will say, though, that if you all would like to check out some Jack Wilman comments on this, Mr. Parrish here has a wonderful DVD that was released of Taurus Monster Truck Racing. I believe uh, that was the volume one, correct? Yes, that is Taurus, or Jack Wilman's Taurus Monster Truck, and volume one, the... DVD is called Leading the Charge. It is available on eBay. We are the only authorized distributor and also through the Taurus Monster Truck history page. We've got a shop link in the upper right corner of that on Facebook. So check it out. Uh, We've got uh, 
90 plus minutes of footage of Jack Wilman archived history video and uh, commentary from the owner. Yeah, and not just not just anything, just racing passes. This is from the beginning of Taurus to pretty much the end of Taurus, really, as far as this goes. A lot of home video footage, and I'm sure there's even more out there that wasn't included in this DVD. So if you guys would like, yes. definitely one of the top DVDs in Monster Trucks to buy currently. And I, I, I own a copy, thanks to Parrish. Thank you for bringing that out to me at a Trigger King race. I watched it the second I got home from that race. And I went back and watched it again just so I could hear Jack's comments on this night, which Jack basically says one of the worst nights of his career really is the one that he went to in Chicago and lost the championship. You know, Chris, and thank you as well for helping with Jack and getting that footage digitized and getting this out to people so they can see it because it, there's so much of this history that we've only seen through television. There's all these shows that weren't televised, and now we get to see at least a little snippet of that and what things were like back in those days. So thank you for your hard work in getting that stuff out to the people and helping Jack um, you know, reach out to all those fans out there with a product that is really, really good and worth the purchase. So definitely go to that Facebook shop and purchase that uh, Taurus DVD or, or hop on that eBay listing, as Chris mentioned. Now, we're speaking of good stories. The, the Chicago story is one of the best ever told, but it's nothing compared to the story written down and told for our next week's show, Monster Trucks 2000, the new Thrillinium, uh aired on the UPN network. So you want to make sure you don't miss that one. Checking in next week here on the Retro Monster Truck Review. Guys, how are we going to wrap this one up this week? Uh, well, you know what I'm going to say, but Chris, if you want to end the show. Well, I, I can't end it with the same style that you and Richard Leake bring to the show. So uh, I'm going to defer to you. Uh, it's been great to be on the show. Always a pleasure. Love sitting down and talking monster trucks with you all. And uh, I think we have a great time when we do. But uh, that's all for me for now. Ladies and gentlemen, we will see you again on the tracks across America. Chicago deep dish pizza is not pizza. It's a casserole. Oh, but it's so delicious.